tonight we turn the corner into the uh, second half of the books of Kings. Uh, So chapters 1 through 11 are Solomon, and then the fallout is the rest of this book and the next book. And so we're in this this big stretch, we're starting uh, moving forward, looking at the kings from the divided kingdom. It's mostly not going to be fun, Um, but that's important for us if we are to grow, to see the Lord disciplining and rebuking. Uh, Tonight, I want to read, uh, actually starting in chapter 11, verse 41, and reading through 1224. Hear the word of our God. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard it, he was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt, that they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to these people today, and serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him, and he said to them, What advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people. 
For the turn of events was from the Lord, that he might fulfill his words, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Now when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Go to your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Now it happened, came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, as we gaze at this sad history, you would you would work in our hearts and our minds wisdom as well as hope. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a basic story and you all are familiar with it. There's this coronation about to take place. You might notice the coronation is not at Jerusalem where we might expect it. It's up at Shechem. This might be an indication that Rehoboam was trying to be wise trying, uh, by having his coronation in the north, in the midst of all the tribes, instead of just down in Judah. It might be a sign that he was trying to show himself to be a people, a man of the people, and not just a man of this tribe. But it's very clear in the text that they don't see it the same way. You can come to Shechem, but you're just about Judah. And we keep seeing this phrase come up, the son of David the house of David, Judah. Uh, Israel does not see things in Solomon's reign the same way that Rehoboam saw these things. He shows up and someone else shows up, Jeroboam, whom we had seen flee previously, who suddenly shows up as the union rep. That's how he appears in this, isn't it? He's the union rep. We want better money, better hours, and, uh, and if we don't get those things, we're on strike and you won't have a workforce. I'm not going to dive into the, the whole question of whether their complaints against Solomon are right or wrong. Uh, 
we we have noted several times that the only people in forest work in Solomon's day were those people whom God had commanded uh, destroyed under Joshua and had survived. Israel wasn't under forced labor. They were paid for everything they did. But they did work hard, and that was the expectation under which their streets were, you know, paved with gold. Their, their tables were always full. Yeah, you had to work hard for that. And we don't like working hard, typically as sinners, to have everything we want. We want everything we want without the hard work. And apparently Israel felt this way about Solomon. Whether or not that was a fair assessment, Jeroboam stands in as the union rep and uh, gives this, this challenge. And everything we see about Jeroboam would say that he's not being sincere when he says, if you give us this, we will serve you. It, it seems very likely he's saying what the people are thinking, but he has something else in mind. He knows no one is going to go for this kind of arrangement. And by God's choice, that is exactly how things happen. Rehoboam seeks counsel from two counselors, sets of counselors, and then he gives his reply with the result that Israel is split. And until they were reunited in the form of the Church of Jesus Christ, the members of those tribes never had one Davidic king over them again. They were scattered to the winds. Now there were some great moments. Some people from every tribe came back after the exile and had, for example, Nehemiah uh, over them. And he was of the house of David, but he wasn't king. So this is really the end of a united kingdom from an earthly sense. As we look at this, I think there are three lines of application I want to focus on in this chapter today. Um, The first, quite obviously, is wise counsel. This chapter teaches us about taking wise counsel. Uh, it, It should strike us that he asks two sets of counselors. One is the older men and one is the younger, and he goes with the younger. And boy, that should sound familiar because that kind of attitude is the heart of our culture today. If anyone is going to give me the right counsel, it's going to be the young people. They understand. Old people don't get life the way life is today. Life has changed and left them behind, and so they have nothing to say into my experience, right? That kind of ageism not only infects our culture, but it affects our churches. And so uh, I, I, I sometimes found it quite humorous and pathetic when I was interviewing churches or looking for a church back in the day that everyone wants a pastor with at least five years of experience. Uh, why five? I don't know why that's the chosen thing, you know, but at least five years of experience and who's the epitome of the best preacher, evangelist, counselor, and friend in the universe. But they also don't want someone who's over the age of 40. And I had friends who had a hard time getting a job sometimes because they didn't go to seminary until they were in their 30s, and so they were coming into the ministry with only two years of experience as a pastor at the age of 45, and a church was suspect of them. 
You know, how can you be any good? How can you really understand? How can you reach the audience that needs to be reached? This is the kind of attitude in the church, and that's good churches. Ageism very much infects how we think. The amount of counseling I do where I try to say to someone, you know, I remember being in those. I remember being a teenage boy. It wasn't that long ago for me. It's longer than I always think it was. But it wasn't that long ago. And I remember what it was to fill in the blank, not know what to do after high school, um, to, to think, emphasis on think, think I was in love with some girl. Uh, you know, all the different things that teenage hearts go to. And it is amazing to me how often people think, but that was a different world back then. And you don't understand all the, the ways social media or our culture has changed that make my experience so much different than yours, Nathan. And I think, I, I have actually thought several times, is this how I treated my elders back then? <laughs> Thinking they didn't understand? I'm afraid it probably was. This is how our hearts work, isn't it? We think that for someone to understand, they have to be close to us in age, and the younger they are, the better they understand the world, because the older they are, the more out of touch they are. And this is exactly where Rehoboam is. Uh, The reality is that in the book of Proverbs, which has a lot to say about wise counsel, and since it's Solomon's words to his son, I thought maybe we should read some of Proverbs tonight. But Proverbs has this to say about the age of the people you seek in counseling. For example, Proverbs 20, 29, the glory of young men is their strength, the gray hair, the splendor of the old. Hmm. He's obviously not saying, boy, I've always wanted gray hair, right? There's something else being said there. The glory of the old man is that he's survived. He's alive with gray hair. And to get there and have the gray hair, he must have endured some things and learned some things and might understand how the world works. That's what Solomon's getting at. Or not just men as your counselors, Proverbs 23, 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. <laughs> Mom just doesn't get me. Mom just doesn't get me. Right? That's, that's how our culture speaks. Mom who's out of touch. Dad who's not with it. And God's word says, no, here's where you can find wisdom in the older people. Emphasis on er, older people. Okay. Um... I think one of the things that Solomon gets at with counselors that are older than you, it's not that it's an absolutely true statement always that young men are always wrong in their counsel and older men are always right. We know that's not true. As an absolute statement, it's not true. But as a typical statement, it's often true. And one of the things that is often true is that I was thinking about this in terms of games. Counselors who are ready to give counsel the same way they play games. Old men play chess. Young men grab sticks and storm the castle. Isn't that what happens with Rehoboam? 
here are the old men, and they're ready to play chess. If you sacrifice this pawn today, they will be your subjects forever. That's a chess move. It's wisdom. The young men say, grab a bigger stick than Jeroboam has, smack him on the side of the head, storm the castle, and they'll be your slaves forever. And one of those actually works. The other one only occasionally works and not well. But one of those works. And that's how the wisdom of the old often is. There's a patience. There's a a slowing down. There's a thinking and using your brain. And sometimes gray hair is one at the expense of humiliation. And so sometimes the council comes with more humility. And I think that's, that's very important. Humility in the heart. Let, let me read a bunch of, of Proverbs about counsel here to you uh, this evening. Proverbs 15.22, Without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Ointment and pure uh, and perfume delight the heart. And the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Proverbs 27, 9. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Multitude, multitude, multitude. One of you I was just talking to this morning, maybe, I think it was Abby, about how even in a room of godly elders, it's interesting to see how different discussions You'll, the multitude lines up differently, and that's a blessing. Uh, how uh, in one conversation, you know, I, I might be wrong about something, and Peter and Bill both are saying something different than what I'm saying. And then the next conversation, maybe it will be Peter and I saying the same thing, and Bill has a different perspective. And then, then the very next, all in one meeting, you can have every combination of uh, advise, advisors in the room, or maybe you all agree on something. It's an amazing thing, but it's a beautiful thing because when we don't have the multitude, we don't have people challenging whether or not we're always right, which we all always think we're always right, don't we? And we need someone we respect to be able to say, no, maybe there's a different perspective. At least think about it. There's something here Solomon is getting at. But of course, we can see from Rehoboam, it's not just a multitude of any counselors. They have to be the right counselors. And so, again, those texts I just read about the older advisors. But also, we could think about uh, the right counselor in Proverbs is obviously someone who has wisdom in the first place. So remember where wisdom starts for Solomon. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So when you're seeking out your counselors, look for people who fear God, right? It's a basic rule for the Christian. Do we always do that? Isn't it true that often we go to our peer group, whether or not they're believers, rather than going and seeking out a godly, older member of the church? Hopefully that's not true for you. But the fear of the Lord is the place to start. Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your later days. 
There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Oh, okay. The Lord's counsel will stand. So seek those who fear the Lord. Clear implication he's making. Again, the humility we need to know wisdom, both humble counselors and humility ourselves going to counselors. Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six: He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Oh, whoever trusts his own heart. Notice even the way that it's worded about Rehoboam. He rejects the older men's counsel. And then he goes to his friends. And I tried to read it in a way that would emphasize this point. He goes to his peer group and he says, what advice do you have to give? How shall we answer this people who have spoken to me saying Well, if anyone doubted what Rehoboam wanted to hear, they didn't doubt it for long. And that's the problem with the peer group often, isn't it? They tell you what you want to hear if you're in charge. Older people might not care what you want to hear. they've, They've served with your dad and he was smarter than you. Or they've served with better people than you before. They might not. They've seen you come and go multiple times. And so they tell you what you need to hear. Well, I I could read more texts. And if you want more texts, I have a few more on this piece of paper you can ask for afterwards. Proverbs is full of advice to Rehoboam, specifically, to seek the right counsel. He only got as far as seeking counsel, but not the right counsel. We, We need to have the humility to seek the right counsel in the things that we pursue in life. That's not only about your spiritual walk, it's about your everyday decisions as well. And so we need the wisdom here to seek wise counsel. The second area of application I think we can get from this text, and I'm going to try to keep this one really short because I think I touched on it last week as well, and I know we'll get back to it again in Kings. It has to do with leadership. Look at Rehoboam's leadership style. Ah, he's a man's man. You want to go, Jeroboam? Let's take this outside. I'll get a bigger stick. There's something appealing, at least to many of us men, there's something appealing to this attitude. If if we didn't know where the story was going, we might think this is pretty great, right? There's something that appeals to the, the one who will crush the foe. Oh. Or the domineering one. But what leadership does scripture point us to as successful and regardless of success? Right. And I, I think just two texts about husbands can get us to this point. They're the parallel texts written to husbands. Ephesians 5. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and what kind of leadership does Christ show? He gave himself for her. And the parallel text gives us another word there instead of unpacking Christ's sacrifice. Colossians 3, it's a parallel text and it says, husbands love your wives as Christ, uh, uh, I'm sorry, husbands love your wives and be patient with her. Patience and sacrifice aren't words that go with Rehoboam, are they? Domineering, crushing, 
But scripture says, don't be like that. It's going to appeal to you to be the big, powerful man, if, if you're a man, or the big, powerful person in whatever area of leadership you might have, maybe as a parent or a, um, a, a supervisor at work or something like that. But patience, patience. That's the way of biblical leadership. Of course, we can also think of shepherding in that connection. Think of what Peter has to say about the way the elders ought to be not domineering over them. He literally uses that word. Don't domineer, but as shepherds over the flock. So I'll leave it at that. You can think more and apply more there, but obviously Rehoboam presents us with a foil to biblical leadership. So when we find that his personality clicks with our personality, then we we need to slow down and we need to assess ourselves again. But the third area of application I want to focus on uh, that, that is most important from this chapter has to do with yokes. Yokes. Because I hope that word popped off the page to you. When we read this chapter, it should pop off the page to us, especially with that repetition from Jeroboam and the rest of Israel about the son of David, this son of David and his yoke and the son of David speaking about his yoke. Here's Rehoboam, the son of David, my little finger will be bigger than my father's waist. What kind of yoke will I use? It will be heavy upon you. It will crush you into the dirt. That's Rehoboam. But can we miss what our Savior is saying? Jesus, the son of David. What does he say? He says he has a yoke too. Here, let me just read the the actual words from uh, Matthew chapter 11 to us this, this evening. Christ says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Catch that, all things. Here's someone, if he wants to crush, he has the right to crush. If he wants to crush, he has the ability to crush. Here is one whose little pinky could crush the universe. And what is he about to say? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can, can we miss that contrast? Can we doubt that Jesus intended us to see the contrast? My yoke is not like Rehoboam's. No, it's not like Solomon's. I will not make it heavier for you. I will not crush you. I bring a lighter burden. In Rehoboam, we have false bravado. In Christ, we have almighty God. Nothing false there in the power. In Rehoboam, we have a dictator 
In Christ, we have the tender, loving shepherd king. In Rehoboam, we have folly. In Christ, we have the one who is always seeking to do the will of the Ancient of Days. And indeed, as a child, though he was wiser than they and had created them, he sat at the feet of the elders and sought their answers to questions. To whom does each of these kings speak? Rehoboam speaks to those who exaggerated a false slavery they didn't actually have. To whom does Christ speak? He speaks to those truly enslaved by their sins with a heavy burden. Have we known the rest which he offers? Do you look forward to that eternal rest? Think of what he offers. He says, come to me. And he's the one, not who's going to put you to work building your future. He's the one who is going to one day bring you into the eternal rest in a place where he has prepared a place for you. It's the absolute difference from Solomon himself, let alone Rehoboam. Think of that advice the older men gave. It is excellent advice. They say to Rehoboam, be a servant today. And they will serve you forever. That almost sounds like a messianic prophecy, doesn't it? Serve today, servants forever. Because, of course, that is exactly what we find in the true son of David. What does he say? I came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And what is the result? He receives us into an eternal service of praise and gratitude. True believers, that's what our future is, isn't it? It's what our present should be. It's what our future is. Serving the Lord in the joy of salvation. Serving Him in praise, worship, and gratitude. He has shown us gently that he is worthy of our trust and so beloved let us serve him gratefully today thanks be to god for this different king let's